listeners, and welcome to the 58th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm coming to you late this week, or last week, because I was attending a live recording of the My Brother, My Brother and Me podcast, which was an excellent time. Those guys are super funny, and they riff off of one another, and it's it was just a really good show. Except that it started late, like half an hour late, by which point nobody was filling in the theater and there was no, well, let's just wait until everyone gets to their seats sort of excuse. Being tired and still hoping to get home to do some writing for this show, I shot off a quick tweet to the host that was uh, that it was inconsiderate just to keep people waiting, as I'm sure I wasn't the only one feeling that way. Uh, turns out... Maybe I was, because I actually got into a fight on the internet, which is the least legitimate place to get into a fight, uh, with one of their super fans the next morning. Uh, allegedly, I had no right to call them out for this, because it wasn't fair and it wasn't their fault. Well, of course it wasn't. They're not the ones behind the curtain directing themselves to go on. But guess what? It's their show. We're all there. We paid to see them, so they're accountable when the experience doesn't live up to what we expected. Just like I'm accountable when I'm getting out shows late, so I apologize for that, and I understand if I've let anyone down. (laughs) But given that my subscribership looks to have plummeted in the last month, I'm probably not letting too many people down anymore. Uh, In any case, if you have any feedback for me about how I can improve the show or for things that I should cover or segments that I should throw out, please hit me up, because I'll be happy to fight with you on the internet, too. Here's your top story. A week removed from the breaking news that Ford was cutting all of their passenger vehicles, with the exception of the Mustang, Focus Active, and SUVs and crossovers, I've had some time, some more time to think on and read about the decision, and the more I reflect on it, the, the worse the decision seems to sound. First, as a reminder of why this happened, car sales and sedan sales are about as popular as, as getting kicked in the nuts. Sure, there are still some sickos out there who like it, but just like getting kicked in the nuts, owning a sedan makes you feel like less of a man because you could have just paid $10,000 more and bought a real man's car. And by real man's car, I mean a truck. Um, In any case, cars and sedans are not selling well. And even when they do, they're low-margin vehicles, meaning there's not a whole lot of profit there for companies to be had when they're selling them. For publicly traded companies like Ford, continuing to sell unprofitable things that you have to continuously sink money into in order to remain competitive means it's a profit suck, which affects your all-important balance sheet and is reflected in the stock market's valuation of your company. The more profit you earn, the higher your valuation, the more satisfied your investors are that they made the right choice in buying your stock. And there's old some old business wisdom to back up axing sedans. It's called core competencies, and this is the reason I pay someone to do my taxes and spread mulch around my front yard. It's just easier, faster, and more efficient if I pay someone who does these sort of things all the time than to do them myself or try to do them. Uh, Those are not among my core competencies, and I pay different people for these things because my tax guy's core competencies don't include spreading mulch, as far as I know. So... 
what Ford is basically saying here is that we understand that the car market in the U.S. is not really growing, and we do not make cars and sedans that are compelling enough to compete well against car sales from Toyota, Honda, Hyundai, or even GM. Therefore, we are willing to sacrifice a larger market share in favor of a smaller share that is more profitable by focusing on our core competencies, producing SUVs, crossovers, and the Mustang. And we're going to save $26 billion by doing so. Uh, in fact, other companies have thrived with this sort of business model, including Porsche, Land Rover, Ferrari, all of whom focus on sports cars, or Land Rover or Jeep, who focus exclusively on SUVs. And right now you're probably thinking, well, well, that does sound pretty logical, and I guess they made the right decision, so that's the end of the top stories, right? Uh, well, wrong. Uh, and sorry, it's not the end. Um, Porsche and Lamborghini have both hopped onto the SUV bandwagon, and Ferrari is about to, because Porsche's Cayenne became the company's best-selling vehicle when they first produced it in 2002. And though that doesn't mean that Ford is right for sticking with SUVs, it means that those companies understood that they needed a diverse product offering to withstand economic fluctuations and capitalize on market trends. Land Rover can produce only SUVs because they're owned by Tata, who also owns Jaguar, so they have the product diversity there, it's just across different brands, but all under the same umbrella. Jeep is, they're just a freak, and is literally the only thing Fiat Chrysler makes that's any good. And by paring down their products, it doesn't mean that Ford instantly becomes a lean, healthy profit machine. It means they have all their eggs in a single basket that is far from immune to market volatility. Healthy companies like Toyota and Honda are constantly evaluating their products to see if they deem a certain model isn't as competitive as it should be. They invest in improvements and get better and more competitive models out there. Think back to 2012 when Honda came out with a redesigned Civic, which was universally panned by critics for being uncompetitive. Honda didn't say, oh, well, we tried, we might as well kill off the Civic, it never made much money anyway. They dumped money on redeveloping that car and came out with a completely redesigned model the very next year. Consider that product, new products turnaround is usually about three years to six years, uh, and it's usually six years for these bread and butter, butter models, especially with a company that moves like Honda. But because Honda knows about a thing called owner loyalty, and while a Civic may not make much money, it's a great first car for kids or for young professionals who need an appliance and not a race car. After the Civic, maybe the owners will graduate to an Accord or Pilot, or even the CRV is more profitable. It's like Black Friday sales. Those deep discounts exist not because companies want to make money, but because they want to, to get into the door so that you'll spend more money with them either now or later. Toyota knows this too, and it's why this week they announced that they're investing $170 million and hiring 400 new people to produce the next generation Corolla in Mississippi. Toyota sold more than 300,000 Corollas last year, so even though the sedan market is tanking broadly, you cannot say that with conviction there isn't any money to be had by selling them. And if buyers aren't cross-shopping the Corolla with the Focus, that's a failing on Ford's part, either in the marketing or in the product development, and it's not a sign from the market that they should just quit. Plus, by ex exiting the small car market, Ford creates a bit of a vacuum there to help its competitors sell more cars, 
More entry-level vehicles that will generate future loyalty sales, whether it's Toyota, Honda, or Hyundai, or even if the the hole is big enough, attracting some Chinese auto manufacturers to come sell their goods here on the cheap. And one of those Chinese companies, or even Hyundai or Mazda, who actually used to be part-owned by Ford, could have been someone Ford could have partnered with to develop a new small car platform that was both more competitive and more cost-efficient. But they chose the lazy way and just said, screw it, I'm out. And for what? A $26 billion back in their pocket that they're going to spend somehow? And <laughs> from the looks of things, not wisely. This week we, got, we learned about uh, Ford's smart window concept. It utilizes a motor attached to the window to vibrate at different frequencies, allowing blind people to, quote, feel the view out of the car window. We also learned about a patent that Ford filed for uh, a vehicle with an integrated electric motorcycle. What? Ford, you can't make a good Focus or Fiesta, but you're going to make us a damn Transformer? Or how about the fact that Ford is looking to, uh, for buy-in from its board of directors to purchase and refurbish Michigan Central Station, which, as you might be able to tell from the title, is for trains. Look, Ford, honey, darling, I get it. Your shareholders are whiny babies who want to be fed. But remember that their love is temporary. You can create all the value in the world for them, but you are far, far behind in autonomous tech and electrification. Yet here you are blowing cash on window vibrators and center consoles that become motorbikes. How long do you think that the bump from cutting less profitable profitable models is going to last? Probably right up until Toyota and Honda have compelling electric vehicles out there, and you're still trying to shill the new Bronco, which we all know is going to be a shadow of the original. Investor love comes and it goes. It's a hell of a lot easier to log into E-Trade and click sell when the going gets rough than it is to design and produce a compact, fuel-efficient vehicle if the minds of American consumers start to change again. I just can't help but feel like you're going to be sounding a whole lot like Joe Bluth here in the next few years. I've made a huge mistake. In Michigan this week, former Volkswagen CEO Martin Winterkorn was indicted on charges of conspiracy and wire fraud related to the years-old Dieselgate scandal. The investigation found that Winterkorn and other executives were aware of the emissions defeat software in their diesel vehicles and essentially condoned their use right up until the sneaky Germans were caught doing so. Winterkorn, who is in, who is 70 and is no longer Volkswagen CEO, resides in Germany, where he is protected from extradition by the German Constitution. So, basically, what the indictments mean are that Martin doesn't get to go to Disney World anymore. Up north, the Toyota Research Institute announced this week the opening of a 60-acre autonomous vehicle test site at the Michigan Technical Resource Park in Ottawa Lake. The facility already has a 1.7-mile oval track, and Toyota will build more infrastructure around and inside it to test its autonomous technology's responsiveness to what it calls edge case scenarios, basically rare occasions that are not typical in day-to-day driving, but that will be necessary to plan for in order to have safer cars. 
they'll replicate highway on and off ramps as well as four lane highways, wet surfaces, and city intersections. The This being their own site, Toyota can design it however they want and not have to depend on public roads creating scary scenarios, much less risking public safety by testing outside a closed environment. So kudos to Toyota for doing the right thing here. It's not cheap to build your own testing ground, but it's the right thing to do, and besides, how expensive can some farmland in rural Michigan really be for a company selling that many RAV4s to millennial herd members? Um, electric vehicle manufacturer Nikola announced this week that beer maker Anheuser-Busch InBev will purchase up to 800 hydrogen electric semi-trucks capable of a range somewhere between 500 and 1,200 miles, while also capable of being refilled with hydrogen in just 20 minutes. This is big news not just for the long-haul trucking industry, but for the hydrogen fuel industry, which has been sort of in a chicken-or-the-egg situation for years, having an underdeveloped charging infrastructure that makes manufacturers wary of producing vehicles that utilize the technology. Unfortunately, the announcement is very light on specifics. The whole up to 700 trucks could literally mean 1 or 800. Uh, the 700-mile variation in range is also a little concerning, as is the lack of specifics about the charging infrastructure. Not only have Nikola's salespeople been busy, though, so have their lawyers. Uh, the same day that Tesla posted its worst-ever quarterly loss of $709.6 million, which is more than twice its loss during the same period last year, Nikola served them with a lawsuit. Um, Nikola is the maker of an electric big rig in a very similar style, shape, and capability to the Tesla electric semi. Uh, have sued set Tesla for patent infringement sp specifically related to the similar design and are asking for an outrageous $2 billion in damages, which, uh, good luck with that. Um, is there some merit to the fact that uh, the vehicles look similar? Sure. Uh, is it also the case that most semi-trucks look alike and that streamlining them would yield a similar aerodynamic profile? Also, yes. Uh, on to the courts where this will probably be dismissed. Uh, speaking of dismissed, uh, Tesla's Q1 earnings call on Wednesday didn't quite go the way anyone really expected. Uh, when faced with legitimate questions from investors and analysts about the company's negative cash flow, which widened to a negative $1 billion in Q1 from a negative $227 million in Q4 of 2017, and where the company was going to find the money to pay for the production of the Model 3, Elon dismissed the question saying, and this is a direct quote, boring bonehead questions are not cool. Next. He also passed on a question about how many Model 3 reservations were being met and moved on to a 20-minute conversation filled with softballs and hypotheticals pitched by some random YouTube user, while the analysts who were allowed one question and one follow-up didn't even get those answered. Understandably, the market did not respond well to a CEO disregarding serious questions about the future of a company burning cash and likely to have to raise or borrow more in the coming months. Though, not if you ask Musk, who still insists that the company needs no additional money and will be profitable later this year. While previously this sort of confidence may have been enough to soothe the market's worries, uh, it seems the honeymoon is well and truly over because the company lost almost 8% of its value, almost $4 billion. 
Add to this the fact that a shareholder recently floated a proposal to remove Musk as chairman of the board, even if the board itself isn't going to entertain the idea, it's clear that some stockholders and analysts are officially over the hype. Uh, maybe the next time boring bonehead questions will warrant a greater consideration since they're apparently worth about $4 billion. Uh, while Elon was distracted, Volkswagen went out and made it rain all over battery suppliers, award awarding $48 billion in contracts to make batteries for their electric vehicles. Volkswagen already produces more cars in four days than Tesla does in an entire year, so they have uh, that whole production hell thing figured out. And they're getting the technology part down pretty well, too. So much so that in just two years, VW will offer more than 25 new electric vehicle models, and by 2025, they hope to have sold 3 million of them. After playing with his flamethrower for a, a while or something, Elon regained his focus enough to explain that the Model Y, the hotly anticipated electric compact crossover, wouldn't be built at the company's Fremont plant and would start production in 2019. <laughs> Given his history of following through on promises, Tesla will be lucky to have the Model Y out before Volkswagen has already been selling electric Tiguans for a couple of years. And I know what company I would trust to have better engineered vehicles, even though reliability through German engineering is the greatest myth ever popularized in automotive cultures. Um, on the autonomous vehicle front, BMW announced this week that they've partnered with Magna and Innoviz Technologies to start deploying self-driving prototypes with solid-state LiDAR that will permit Level 4 and Level 5 autonomous driving. If you've ever seen a car with self-driving tech, you'll know it because it has all sorts of arrays and spinny things on top of the car, but Innoviz's new sensor uses a fixed laser beam directed by a small spinning motor which enables it to be just a fraction of the size of conventional LiDAR while offering a wide range of coverage. Um, that and it costs only around $1,000, which is much cheaper than you'd expect from such advanced tech. Before long, these sensors may become so small that we might not be able to tell the autonomous cars apart from the ones driven by humans, particularly if they code in some sort of road rage function. Uh, speaking of road rage, there's a lot of raging going on right now about a driver in England this week who is really, he really just wanted to be a passenger. Uh, Bavish Patel hopped in his Tesla Model S 60 and hit the highway, setting his car on autopilot, and then hopped himself over into the passenger seat where there was more room to relax without the cumbersome steering wheel or pedals to get in the way. Uh, luckily for him, Tesla's autopilot handled the highway pretty well, Unluckily, another, uh, another driver filmed his nearly incomprehensible idiocy and turned him into the police. He pleaded guilty to dangerous driving, and in addition to having to go through 10 days of rehab, paying $2,500, and performing 100 hours of community service, he's been banned from the M1 freeway for 18 months. Which honestly still sounds light to me considering he could have killed someone by letting software which its own developers say is intended to aid a fully attentive driver handle the road with other people on it tesla gets a lot of crap for how poorly they are run and rightly so but man they have some dumbass rich people customers too subaru uh quickly replacing toyota as the beigeous J japanese automaker has announced this week that employees at their gunma and yajima plants have been found to improperly be altering fuel economy and emissions data possibly as far back as 2002 
They only have data that go back to 2012, but found that senior inspectors had been passing on methods for altering data to junior inspectors. So it's been sort of a time-honored tradition to cheat at Fuji Heavy Industries. Um, they insist that some group chiefs may have been aware of the altered data, but managers and executive managers were not aware. Uh, furthermore, the data was not altered to be necessarily better, but to be more consistent from vehicle to vehicle. So fewer questions were asked by those exact managers who claimed to have not known what was going on. But if you're a manager at Subaru and you're going around to everybody's workstations and the control C and control V buttons are all worn down on their computers, at what point do you start asking questions? Um, the NASCAR season, it's, it's started up, which I'm sure is great news for maybe one of my listeners. Uh, Spencer Gallagher ended up at the top of the podium uh, the previous Saturday at Talladega, finishing first after leading only the very last lap, which is kind of crazy. Uh, on Tuesday, though, it was announced that Gallagher failed a drug test and would be suspended until he completed a required road-to-recovery rehab program, which sounds awfully extreme. Um, apparently, there are some drugs that enhance your performance as a driver, since A.J. Allmendinger was suspended for three months in 2012 when he tested positive for Adderall. The key takeaway from this for most people will be uh, the sincere shock that NASCAR actually drug tests its drivers and that drivers are actually discouraged from doing drugs. I say let them do what they want. It'll make it more interesting out there, circle after circle after circle. Um, speaking of drugs, a man in Newton, Kansas, is suspected of using them while having a blood alcohol of 0.35. Um, fortunately, the man was not driving, but cars were involved. Um, I think if you listen to this podcast, you're either a friend of mine who feels socially pressured into tuning in, or you really love cars. Well, this man shares our love of cars, but those drugs, man, I make you do some crazy things. Um, this guy's case, get naked and try to get to sex in a car. Uh, apparently, the police were called before he rounded third, but that didn't stop him trying to slide into home, uh, by which I mean slide into the car's tailpipe. Um, he refused to listen to officers' instructions and earned himself one hell of a tasing for it. I can only imagine how that must have felt with whatever narcotic cocktail he had sloshing around in him. Uh, the kind of crazy thing is, this isn't the first time I've heard of this sort of thing, and the enthusiast has a, uh, the community has a term for these guys, dragons. Dragons are people who want to have sex with cars. I can't explain why they're called dragons, but then you probably can't explain why someone would want to have sex with a car, so let's just leave it at that. Watch out for dragons, everyone. Uh, what is almost... Certainly everyone's dream came true in Indianapolis uh, last Wednesday when the rear doors of a Brinks security truck flew open and began making it rain all over I-70. Uh, police estimate that about $600,000 was lost in the brief period in between when the doors opened and when some goody two-shoes alerted the truck driver to the, quote, problem. Uh, taking a huge dump on everyone's fun, Indiana State Troopers are planning on reviewing video from the scene and tracking license plates of people who stopped to take the money because apparently it's theft. But you know the old saying, one man's theft is another man's miracle. Uh, but I can't imagine Brinks uh, is getting a whole lot of that money back. Uh, police in Detroit are still looking for a group of criminals who brazenly stole 13 brand new Dodge Ram pickups from none other than the assembly plant in Warren, Michigan. 
The theft, which appeared very well coordinated, went off without a hitch, with crooks getting keys and vehicles, uh, and vehicles, and then ramming through the front gate to escape before security even had a clue what was happening. Police still don't have any suspects or leads, and, and details are a bit scarce as to how the crooks managed to get the keys to all the trucks. But in a recent so-called cluster robbery in Chicago, a dealership kept the keys in each vehicle and then left them unlocked. So this could have been the case here. Uh, Fiat Chrysler wouldn't confirm how the keys are kept at the vehicles at the Warren assembly plant, but I'm willing to bet they are no longer kept however they were kept last week. Um, a mystery is also afoot in Toronto, where police were trying to figure out why a stripped and burned out blue Honda Civic with several broken windows was dangling from the Don Valley Parkway Bridge. Uh, initially, they thought it was a prop for a movie being filmed, but no movie shoot had been authorized. Apparently, nobody willing to say anything saw what must have been a rather intricate operation. Either dropping a car off a bridge by a pretty long, strong cable, or managing to pull the car up onto the bridge from the valley below it, uh, authorities suspect it's the, worst, the work of college students uh, just released for summer break, which means that college students in Canada do way more engineering in their free time than college kids in America. Uh, let's take a look at some of the new cars from this past week. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my well with my so last week we covered all the new cars from the New York Auto Show uh, this year, and this week we're going to focus more on what happened in Beijing a couple weeks ago, along with a few other randoms that popped up along this week or recently. Uh, the first relevant new car from Beijing has to be the BMW iX3, the company's first all-electric compact crossover and the vehicle through which BMW will probably conquer the world, or at least the hearts and minds of most buyers these days. It's actually not a completely new design. It's based on the current X3. Instead of having a completely new platform, which somewhat limits its functionality or, and range, but they're still expecting a range of almost 250 miles, which would equal the Chevy Bolt, while being quite a bit larger and more luxurious. Expect to see these things on roads around 2020 if people can get over their range anxiety. Um, also coming to the States is the new Lexus ES, which debuted in Beijing. It's the company's bread-and-butter sedan, which finally gets the divisive spindle grill that adorns every other Lexus. Honestly, I think it looks pretty damn good. Uh, these have always been sort of fancy Camrys, which, let's be honest, a Camry is a great car to start from in the first place, but the new one has a design all its own, despite sharing the same platform, so I think that's kind of cool. As for the Germans, Mercedes showed off a new A-Class sedan, which is apparently not the same as the CLA. I pride myself on knowing a lot about cars. I've covered them weekly for more than a year now, but even I am starting to get all crossed up with BMWs and Mercedes lineups that seemingly contain an unlimited number of cars meant for two or three unique buyers. Um, at the other end of the luxury spectrum, Mercedes Maybach unveiled an SUV concept which may be one of the damn ugliest vehicles I've seen in a very long time. It's based on the GLS, uh, Mercedes' largest SUV, but has been heavily reworked. From the baleen whale-like open maw of the grill to the trunk, yes, this is an SUV that has the same three-box shape as a car and includes an honest-to-God trunk in it. I don't care if this car signifies that you're filthy rich. It also signifies that you're okay looking like a total weirdo. 
Um, heading off the reservation a bit, um, Hong Kong-based Hybrid Kinetic Group showed off their first HKGT, which is a gull-wing door-having luxury electric coupe designed by Italian design house Pininfarina. Uh, sure enough, it looks absolutely fantastic and really embraces the, the sort of elegant minimalism or uh, what do they call it, like the sophisticated decluttering that I'm hoping starts to be a trend among more manufacturers. Um, the H500 four-door sedan and K350 compact SUV were also shown off. Um, all share an electric powertrain rated at 400 horsepower, uh, shooting the cars to 60 in less than five seconds. Uh, no word on how any of these are going to come to America or what the range is going to be like, but uh, I'll be on the lookout for HKG because uh, you'll recognize their logo. It, it looks just like a basketball. Um, we also had the Nissan Sylphie, which is basically the second generation Leaf, but in sedan form that will only be sold in China. As apparently sedans still sell in China. Um, there was the KDC Regola, which is basically a knockoff McLaren, but completely electric and also completely never going to make it into production. Um, the Hongqi Ejing GT, which is a sort of weird mashup of the Vision Mercedes Maybox 6 and the Cadillac El Mirage with a bit of 1950s chrome flare from, with like the streaks from uh, the uh, Chrysler Crossfire mixed in, because why the hell not? Uh, if you're going to go ugly, just go full on hideous. And, and, and the Hongqi Ejing GT is that. Um, also, the new two seat. Chang2 K20, <laughs> a small electric vehicle with a big glass greenhouse and little squinty headlights and, and next to no information about how and why it might actually perform or where it'll sell. It's just another electric car out there. Um, that was all the big, uh, big hitters from uh, Beijing. Um, now for some other cars that came out recently, uh, are you one of the countless millionaires who, uh, wants an extremely fast car? You can only drive on the track whenever you want to, but will probably most likely sit in a storage somewhere that you also have to pay for. Well, great news. Cause uh, legendary race car manufacturer Brabham is back and they're making cars for real people now, not just racing drivers. And uh, by real people, I mean very, very rich people. Um, the $1.3 million BT62 has 700 horsepower and weighs less than a harbor seal, uh, meaning it goes very fast and looks very carbony and pretty while doing so. Uh, Brabham has a long history of innovation in racing, being one of the first Formula One manufacturers to, to use a wind tunnel and carbon brakes and all sorts of other things. But I think what sets the BT62 apart most is it sort of lack of innovation it's sure it's it's still a, a super lightweight aerodynamic car but apparently has fewer electronic nannies doing the work for you so if you happen to win the lottery and buy one of their cars they'll throw in training from a racing team because you'll need it just to drive the bt62 because it's just that old school and that's refreshing but I can't see it mattering much because it's going to be exclusively for old white guys buying these to tell other old white guys that they have one. I'm kind of getting tired, honestly, of, of covering these super hyper cars that will be produced in such limited numbers and used only on racetracks and such limited occasions that they, they might as well not exist for most people. Uh, and slightly less expensive, but still quite expensive new car news, uh, Porsche unveiled the new 
Cayenne E-Hybrid, a plug-in large crossover that finally gets some big drug dealer 22-inch wheels up front and ups the horsepower to 455. It's also capable of traveling 44 miles on electric-only power. It'll do 0 to 60 in 4.7 seconds and a 13.3 second standing quarter mile, all of which is very impressive for an SUV, but then again it is a Porsche. Somehow, though, Porsche missed the message uh, that hybrids exist because people wanted a car that uses less fuel, and uh, nowhere on the internet can you find the anticipated miles per gallon for the new model. Um, they say that they have to wait for the EPA to get their official numbers, but Porsche undoubtedly has some guesses based on their testing. I think that omission, not to mention the fact that the car starts at $80,000, just goes to show that hybrid sports SUVs exist not for frugality, but to tell other rich people how responsible you are because you own a hybrid. That's all the new cars this week. Uh, last week I had a heartwarming story to close out the show, and unfortunately that's not the case this week. Instead, I have the story of Anthony Dillard from Chesapeake, Virginia. Anthony was an amateur builder who built a who bought a 1994 Honda Civic Coupe for the sole purpose of turning it into a street legal go-kart. Cutting basically everything off the car except the lower frame, Anthony welded together his very own safety cage using nothing more than what he thought might be an okay design as guidance. He was incredibly fond of the car that he truly made it his own and he nicknamed it the Death Cart. Last week, the death cart took Anthony's life when he was involved in a crash and was ejected from the vehicle. Had he been driving a standard 1994 Honda Civic, or had he consulted professionals in the construction of his project, Anthony's two kids might still have a dad. Uh, remember that cars are dangerous, people, and that professionals exist for a reason. So be safe out there and spare a thought for Anthony's wife and two kids. With that, a uh, bit of a downer. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. Uh, this week I have my knee surgery on Wednesday, so I will hopefully be getting an episode out this Friday or so, but if I'm too drugged up and in pain to sound enthusiastic about cars, it may be a few extra days. So I'll thank you all in uh, advance for your understanding if the regular schedule goes awry for a bit longer. Uh, I leave you this week with the distinctive sound of the Porsche 718 Cayman GT4, which hasn't even been announced yet, but it has been film testing at Monza. We've had a lot of V8s in this segment recently, but not too many flat sixes, and as they say, variety is the spice of life. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. <laughs>